Are you amazed by Jesus? If you are amazed by Jesus, then in that song it says we stand and show you how amazing you are. Can we stand together and just thank our Jesus for how amazing he is to us? He deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise is due his name. Father, as we come now to this time of our worship service where we hear from your word, we just want to say thank you. What we get to experience this morning is nothing any of us deserve. It is all by your grace and you are amazing, Jesus. And we want to make sure and be a local representation of your worldwide family that never, never forgets and never neglects to take time to tell you how amazing you are. So thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you that we can gather together. And I just pray now, Lord, that you will speak to us through your word. We will receive it. And I pray that you will change lives today for your glory and for your honor. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, God has been extremely good to us over this summer as we have sought to reach into families and to impact kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to say publicly how grateful I am to our youth. Over the past three weeks, a great team of our youth, I don't know how many, maybe 25 to 30 of our youth have been giving up their time in the summer to spend every day for three weeks with 395 kids from within our church and also reaching into our community. And so I just want to say thank you so much to our youth for making disciples. And by God's grace, I got an email on Friday afternoon that over the past three weeks, 51 children made first-time responses to the gospel and 54 made recommitments to loving Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we praise God for that. God is good. And whether the government takes funding away or not is not going to stop the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, on June 20, 1994, Walt Disney Pictures released a now very famous movie called The Lion King. And in that movie, there are two very entertaining characters named Timon and Pumbaa. This is the animated meerkat and the warthog duo that took a common East African phrase, Swahili phrase, Hakuna Matata, and made it known all over the world. And I apologize for you who, once you get a tune in your head, it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day. But Hakuna Matata, and I'm not going to sing it to you either. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. It's been stuck in my head all week. Right? Wow. Wouldn't life be great if only that were true? No problems for the rest of our lives? Are you kidding me? Sign me up. I would love that. But as great as that sounds, we all know that we live in a world where we are constantly bumping into real life situations that remind us that our world is broken. 
And we see the effects of sin on our world all around us. Life is challenging. Life is challenging. And it doesn't matter what season of life you are in, we are all going to face complex, difficult, uncertain situations that often leave us feeling anxious. And if that anxiety is not taken care of, it can even lead to us feeling worn out physically, emotionally, and mentally. And yet as believers, we have God's word. And we know that in God's word, in Romans 8.37, it says that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So why do we have this constant back and forth? The complex situations of life that we struggle with. And yet we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So the question I was asking myself this week and the question I proposed to you this morning. If we know that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Then why do so many of us struggle with anxiety? Why do so many of us struggle with anxiety? And we may sit here this morning and go, I know exactly what you're talking about. And Pastor Calvin, is there anything we can do moving forward to help change our experience as followers of Jesus Christ in a broken world? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, to his brothers and sisters in Philippi, talked with them about this exact issue. And because of Paul's personal experiences, he was more than qualified to give advice on this topic. You see, in spite of his imprisonment, as we've been going through his letter, looking at different sections each week, even though he is imprisoned, we see that the dominant tone throughout his writing is one that is joyful. And because Paul loved this congregation so much, I mean, listen to how he describes his affection for these people in chapter 1, verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loved this congregation so much. He longed for them to experience the same joy that he was experiencing in spite of the difficult situation they found themselves in. You see, at the time Paul wrote this letter in prison, the Philippians were facing increased opposition from unbelieving neighbors. In fact, they started to endure the same kind of suffering that they had witnessed Paul and Silas experience on one of Paul's previous journeys to their town. When the two preachers were illegally arrested, beaten, and imprisoned, Accused of being a threat to the Roman Empire and its customs. So here's Paul in his prison cell writing to this congregation that he loves with the affection of Christ. And he understands what they are going through. So he starts to wrap up his letter in chapter 4 where we will look this morning. By placing as much emphasis as possible on four exhortations. I didn't know what the definition of exhortation was when I read it this week. Now I do. An exhortation is an address emphatically urging someone to do something. It's not simply a suggestion. Can I give you an idea? No, he is giving them four exhortations with the hope that they will place close attention to them 
because in them he lays out the game plan to living with less anxiety and enjoying more peace on your journey in Christ. I don't know about you, but I would love to experience that on a greater level than I currently am. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at three verses today. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Here is the game plan. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is the game plan. And within that game plan is the ability to be able to learn how to live with less anxiety while enjoying a more peaceful journey in Christ. So the first word of encouragement, the first exhortation he is urging them to do something about is to rejoice. Rejoice. But notice he doesn't just say rejoice, he says rejoice in the Lord. And if we rejoice in the Lord, that's the only way we can do something always. Rejoice in the Lord always, he encourages them. You see, the source in which the believer's joy exists is Christ, Jesus, only Jesus. We just sang about it. Too often I, too often we experience anxiety while we are racing to win the prize because we have made something or someone other than our relationship with Jesus Christ the source of our joy. And you and I both know, because in life, there is nothing that is the same yesterday, today, and forever other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. We become anxious when things around us change. Things that perhaps we have relied too heavily on as the primary source of our joy. We may be finding our source of joy in our possessions. We may be finding our joy in relationships that we have. Perhaps our sense of joy is secure in our health or possibly our occupation. And these are things that we all rely too heavily on as the primary source of our joy. And this morning we need to understand that the difference between the happiness, not joy, the happiness we often settle for and the joy that Paul is experiencing in his prison cell and that he's urging the Philippians believers to pursue is that the believer's joy is not dependent on circumstances of life. The believer's joy is not dependent on our circumstances in life. It is joy that is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Christ. In the continual presence of Christ, it comes, this kind of joy that Paul is experiencing, it comes from realizing whose we are. Like we sang this morning, I know who I am. This joy comes from realizing whose we are and all that we have received because of that relationship. 
Brothers and sisters, we belong to Christ. Therefore, we have been forgiven. We have been reconciled to God. We have been saved from facing the wrath of God for our sin. We will never be alone. And we will always be taken care of because we are in Christ. All of this made possible because of Christ. Our joy has to come from the fact that we are united with Christ. Last fall, I introduced a resource to our families with young kids in the church. It's called the New City Catechism. I'd encourage you to look it up. I'm not a tech person, and I actually now have an app on my phone with the New City Catechism. But basically, it takes you through 52 foundational truths about God, about his mission, about our relationship with him, and it's one truth per week for the year. And do you know what the very first truth is on the very first week? This is the question. What is our only hope in life and death? Just in your own mind, think that through. How would you answer that? What is your only hope in life and death? Because you see, how you answer that is going to significantly impact whether you have lessening anxiety and can enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. What is our only hope in life and death? The answer is our only hope is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our only hope in life and death. And that is what Paul is urging them. Rejoice in that. Because that never changes. And you know what we have to do? We have to constantly remind ourselves of that truth. I am learning to do this in my own race. i got to constantly remind myself of the truth of what is my only hope in life and death. And I am learning as we grasp that good news in our minds, because that's where transformation first starts. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we grasp the truth of what our only hope in life and death is, and then we embrace it with our hearts, that truth becomes more precious than anything or anyone. And it will, by His Spirit, empower us and change our attitudes and our actions to be like Paul, who even though he was in the midst of suffering, was experiencing joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord Always. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Who or what do we rejoice in? Who or what are we rejoicing in as we journey in our race to win the prize in this broken world? Because how we answer that question will significantly impact whether we live with lessening anxiety and can enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. Rejoice. Secondly, though, he says in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You see, in spite of their persecution, Paul is reminded of something he talked about in chapter 1. In spite of your persecution, remember the importance to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, even though you're in the midst of a difficult and uncertain circumstance. Remember whose you are. 
He encourages them to not only maintain an attitude of joy in the Lord, but he then highlights by saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. What should be flowing out of that deep contentment that comes from being in the Lord? And what should be flowing out of us should be attitudes coupled with actions of generosity towards others. When the normal or expected expectation is retaliation. Being able to deliver something that is contrary to what should be normal in that difficult and uncertain circumstance. Giving other people what they don't deserve. Does that sound familiar? Is that not exactly what God has done for us? He has extended his grace towards us. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. And let us remind ourselves of what God has done for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He is urging them to adopt the example set of Christ's gentleness and non-retaliation towards their persecutors. Listen to what Scripture says about our Savior, Jesus Christ, in 1 Peter 2, 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, listen to this very carefully. Instead, he entrusted himself in the midst of his difficult situation. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's why in Romans we're encouraged to not take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. In fact, we are told the opposite, to actually love our neighbors. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them food. If they are naked, clothe them. Paul is urging the church in Philippi, to follow the example set by Christ. As his followers, our gentleness should be evident to all. And I remember in a class that I took a year ago, I don't think there's any more clear testimony of believers who by God's grace and through his power were able to show their gentleness to all in very difficult situations than those who were martyred during the Reformation for standing up to truth. Listen to the last words of Nicholas Ridley, an influential preacher just before he was burned at the stake in Oxford. As he was being tied to the stake, listen to what Ridley prayed. O Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. O heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee. Someone who confesses that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you, Jesus. 
And because I get to know you, I give hearty thanks. That I not only had the opportunity to know you, but I actually got to share the truths about you. Even unto death. And then listen. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I beseech thee, Lord God, have mercy. Have mercy on this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies. How in the world is it possible for a man who's on the stake ready to be burned to be able to rejoice in the Lord, to be able to show that his gentleness is evident to all? How is that possible? I believe it's the four words that follow, let your gentleness be evident to all. Take a look in your, in your Bible. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but you need to remember one thing this morning. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. You see, through the person of the Holy Spirit, all believers are indwelt. We're encompassed by the presence of God. Like David said in Psalms 139, verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In the midst of difficult and uncertain situations, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. His presence living in us empowers us to not only to be able to stand firm in whatever it is we're going through, but it also gives us the strength to display the right attitude and conduct the gospel requires of all believers. So the question we must ask each other, who or what have you entrusted yourself to? In the midst of whatever situation you find yourself right now, who or what are you entrusting yourself to? Jesus entrusted himself to his heavenly father. Because how we answer that will significantly impact whether we experience a life with lessening anxiety and enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, it says in verse 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything. You know, as I read that, I thought, man, on its own, and sometimes we as brothers and sisters in the family of God, with good intention, we're not intention hard, but sometimes we throw out these strong truth statements when someone's going through a very difficult time. And if you were to just throw that out, the first thing you'd say to someone in the middle of an, a very tough situation, and you just go to them and say, do not be anxious about anything. It's going to seem like there's no empathy. It's going to seem like there's no empathy. It seems so unrealistic at that moment. To not be anxious about anything, to me, seems unachievable. Or at best is only possible for the super spiritual followers of Jesus Christ. That is why context in scripture is so important. 
Context is so important. Do you see, before Paul simply fires out this challenge, do not be anxious about anything. He has been building a case for where the source of their joy should be rooted. It should be rooted in the fact that they are in the Lord and as a result of that, all that accompanies that relationship, including his forever presence and his forever power, can help us to not be anxious about anything. Let's be careful. Yes, the truth is the truth and it is powerful. But let's make sure that we are wise in how we try to encourage each other in difficult situations. But this is good news for me. Because in light of what ever is going on in our lives, we can take heart that we can all actually experience a life with lessening anxiety and enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. Although Paul's challenge to them was to not be anxious about physical persecution that they were suffering, the intended application goes far beyond just that situation. And I know that in a congregation like we have this morning, there are probably many situations we find ourselves in that are possibly dampening our joy and possibly even triggering attitudes and actions that don't line up with our heavenly citizenship. Can I share with you what I am learning in my race to win the prize and as I struggle with anxiety? I am learning that when I am anxious, it indicates to God it indicates to my wife, it indicates to my children and others a lack of trust in God's wisdom, his sovereignty, and his power. And God used my beautiful youngest daughter, April, to teach me that lesson this week. Wednesday's my day off, and I was studying at home, and she said, what are you preaching on this weekend, Dad? And I said, I'm preaching on how we can handle anxiety. And in her simple, childlike way, she just said, that's going to be really good for you, Dad, because you're often anxious. <laughs> I thought the same thing when Pastor Rick gave me the text and I opened it up. I laughed him. I said, really, God? <laughs> and as funny as that is, what hit me, though, is I'm communicating to who I'm supposed to be discipling first there's times I lack trust in God. Through my actions I've communicated, I lack trust in his wisdom and in his power. That is why I'm learning, brothers and sisters, it is so essential to settle in our minds and in our hearts what our only hope in life and death is, and to daily learn to rejoice in that and I'm finding that meditating daily on his word to remind myself of that truth is becoming a great antidote for anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. Because if we're in God's word, we will learn from his word that all situations we find ourselves in, both the good and the difficult, are within God's purposes. And here's the good news. His love for us, his care for us, and his strength for us will carry us through and will never change. We are so valuable to our Savior. Listen to what it says in Matthew 
chapter 6, verse 25 to 27. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? If we are not in God's word daily reminding ourselves of whose we are, we will think the birds are more valuable. And we will experience anxiety that is totally unnecessary. We need to be in his word. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So I ask you this morning, in this whole area of do not be anxious, who or what do you turn to for the truth? Who or what are you turning to for the truth in the midst of your situation? I'm so thankful for my wife. It's amazing. God is so true. How God will give you a helpmate. Because she knows my weaknesses. And her strength is her unwavering resolve in the word of God. And she'll just say, Calvin, tell the truth to yourself. Because the truth will set us free. So how we answer that question will significantly impact whether we live a life with lessening anxiety and enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. And number four, his fourth exhortation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And fourthly, but in every situation. There's no situation that's too small and no situation that's too big that you can't take to God. But in every situation, present your requests to God by prayers and petitions. And here's the key. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I know I've experienced it. You might be in one of those situations where there are times when the situation seems overwhelming that you don't even know how to approach God in prayer, let alone with thanksgiving. But I'm learning if we daily put into practice the game plan Paul is setting out, and if we daily put into practice what he tells us in Colossians 3.1, where he says, since then we have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Do you remember the rope that Pastor Rick used the illustration? That's setting your minds on everything past that first inch. We need to daily be setting our minds and our hearts on things above where Christ is. And if we do, we will come to understand in the midst of our difficult and uncertain circumstances that we still have so much to be thankful for because our joy is sourced in something that is independent of things on earth. It is sourced in the eternal presence of Jesus Christ. It is only when we fully are convinced that God is working all things together for our good that we can really feel the perfect gratitude towards him which believing prayer demands. As I was studying this week, I came across this devotion on anxiety. And this one author gave three points to remember when praying. When presenting your request to God, three points. And I found these really helpful. And I pray that you will memorize them. And you will remember them as you go to prayer. So when you present your request to God with thanksgiving, don't forget the love of God. 
Don't forget the love of God, which only ever desires what is best for you. That's good news. Don't forget the wisdom of God, which alone knows what is best for you. And thirdly, don't forget the power of God, which alone can bring about that which is best for us. The love of God, the wisdom of God, and the power of God. And so Paul encourages the believers in Philippi to replace their anxiety with thankful prayer. I have found just a practical way to do that, walking. When I start to feel anxiety, just I go for a walk, and I just start to talk to God. Start to talk to God. And all of a sudden, you're exchanging anxiety with thankfulness. Because as you're walking, you're being reminded of who he is and who I am. And that I am in him. You see, prayer, I think, is one of those underappreciated privileges that we have because we are united with Christ. It is one of the underappreciated privileges we have because we are united with Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Praise God. Jesus, only Jesus fully understands what we are going through. But not only that, he has made a way for us to approach the throne of grace where we can find mercy in our time of need. So in every situation, when you begin to sense anxiety taking control of your hearts, your emotion, you sense anxiety taking control of your mind, your thoughts, let us learn to present our requests to God by prayer and petitions with thanksgiving. And rather than carrying the weight and the emotional weight of anxiety, let us do what he encourages us to do in Scripture. And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of our service to have an opportunity to do what Scripture says. Cast, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then notice the beginning of verse 7 as we wrap up the word and. The word and. It is more important than it looks at first glance, this word and. Because it doesn't simply add another statement to what Paul has already been mentioning in verses 4 through 6. It actually gives the result of presenting our request to God with thanksgiving. If the Philippians would follow Paul's game plan, if we would follow the advice he gives in the middle of our situations, rejoicing in the Lord, never forgetting he is near, rather than being anxious about our situation, daily learning how to present our request to God with thanksgiving, then they and we can experience what he was experiencing in a prison cell, and that is the peace of God. And the peace of God. An overwhelming sense of inner contentment grounded in an unwavering confidence that God is able and willing to do what is best for his children. A peace that transcends all understanding. So precious that the human mind with all its skill and all its knowledge cannot even produce this. That is why it is called the peace of God. 
So wonderful is this peace of God that it empowers and enables believers to break the normal anxiety and behavior expected from people in the midst of difficult and uncertain circumstances. Why? End of verse 7. Because it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In light of the kind of persecution his brothers and sisters were facing, Paul uses a very specific word, guard, to depict God's peace as a soldier whose job is to stand and to keep watch, guarding a city to protect it from attack. And in a garrison town like Philippi, this would have had very relevant meaning. Brothers and sisters, take comfort this morning. When we present our request to God with thanksgiving, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will stand guard as a garrison over our hearts and our minds. Sometimes we might feel so weak, but when we are weak, he is strong. Because he is standing guard over my emotions and over my minds because I'm valuable to him. And that is why my joy is in him. And so I ask you in closing, I ask myself in closing, who are you presenting your request to? And how are you presenting your requests? Because that will significantly impact whether we live a life of lessening anxiety and enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. It's not just presenting our requests, it's how we present our requests. Paul was a man whose mind and heart had been transformed by Christ. And that is why his life exhibited the virtues of one who was in Christ, even though he was in a prison cell. He longed for his fellow believers in Philippi to experience a life with lessening anxiety and to enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ. And I'm sure there are probably many of us here this morning that would love to experience that as well. You see, although Timon and Pumbaa introduced the world to a catchy phrase, Hakuna Matata, catchy phrases can't really help us in the race. Because Hakuna Matata is simply a problem-free philosophy. But as believers, we can truly experience the peace that transcends all understandings in the difficult and uncertain circumstances we find ourselves because what we have is not simply a philosophy that we embrace intellectually. No, rather we have a personal union with the all-powerful, the all-knowing creator and sustainer of the universe who has revealed in his word that he will keep, listen closely, he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in him. So brothers and sisters, trust in the Lord. The Lord himself is the rock eternal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Man, I'm so thankful for your word. Thank you for giving us a game plan for something a lot of us really struggle with. Thank you for helping us to understand how we can rejoice always. It's in you.
Help us in our seasons of anxiety, Lord, to make sure that our words and our actions are evident to all and that those line up with our citizenship, which is in you. Help us not to be anxious about anything because you are near. And Father, teach us how to pray. To daily present our request to you through prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. Thank you for this game plan, for experiencing life with lessening anxiety and a more peaceful journey in Christ. In Jesus, our only hope, most powerful Savior's name we pray. Amen. As we close this morning, we are going to declare truth that we need to daily remind ourselves. But if you're here this morning and you are struggling to be an overcomer, you are struggling with anxiety, that is nothing to be ashamed of. We are all weak and we are all broken. I would encourage you this morning as a step of faith to show who you have entrusted yourself into the hands of. To show what and who your only hope in life and death is placed, and that's in Jesus Christ. Then as we sing, I'm going to encourage you to just come to the front here. And we're going to close our morning this morning asking God through his power and through his word to allow us to experience going forth a life with lessening anxiety and enjoy more peace because we are in Christ. So as we sing, you come. Church family, that is what we are. We are, we are a family. It's not just the staff's mission statement to enable you to become and me to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. We are a family to enable each other to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And in my family, when one of my kids is tired or hurting, I don't ignore them. I give them a hand and I help them up. And so we have brothers and sisters here this morning who are declaring to the Lord who already knows that they're struggling. But by faith they have come forward to declare that their trust is in Jesus and only Jesus. And so we're going to pray for them. And as we pray, we're going to give them a hand. I want you to reach out your hands towards our brothers and sisters that God will allow them to leave this morning feeling less, less anxious and begin a journey of enjoying more peace in Christ. So let us reach out our hands to our brothers and sisters and let us pray. Father, I thank you for each individual here this morning. I praise you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us so that we can actually have a relationship with God and all that we have been so privileged to have with that. And God, this morning, I just join with my brothers and sisters here this morning to say that we want to experience more of your peace in our lives. And we recognize that it's not that it hasn't been there, but we are sourcing our joy in things other than you. And we are not trusting you like we should. And so we come before you as your children and say, forgive us. Lift us up and help us to put your game plan into play on a daily basis so that we can experience what Paul and what your word declares. We can experience peace that transcends all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, whatever situation my brothers and sisters are going through, you know 
I pray that you would release the burden of anxiety from them. And this morning we have come together to cast all our anxiety on you because you care for us. And for that, we are truly grateful. We commit our lives to you. Thank you that you have given us everything we need. Now help us to rely on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, following this game plan does not mean we will have no worries for the rest of our lives, like Timon and Pumbaa said. But what it does mean is that we can live with lessening anxiety and enjoy a more peaceful journey in Christ, knowing that there is a day coming when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things would have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is what we will trust in. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hold on to that as we race this week. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.